0: Good Friday, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I am Kyle Lamb. I am the show host. Quite honestly, it's been a couple weeks of telling everybody that this Ohio State team is really good. I know you generally believe me because you've seen it with your own two eyes. You've seen the analytics I provided. But sooner or later, You know, sometimes it's just good to get an outside perspective. So today, that is what we are going to do. Yesterday on the show, I did attempt to identify a weakness in this Ohio State team, a possible chink in the armor, if you will. We discussed the sack rate and how it could improve. I think that is a product of both the pass protection by Ohio State and the blitz and pressure recognition by Justin Fields. Nonetheless, despite that one little... Uh, aspect that could get better for Ohio State, it's generally been really good news all the way across the board. So in an attempt to show that, I brought in some help. Andrew Percival is going to be along today. We're going to talk some analytics. Andrew is a former Major League Baseball front office employee turned college football analytics enthusiast. He is knee-deep in this stuff. For the last couple of years, he's been big on analytics and he has a Matrix consensus, a a metrics consensus, if you will. And we'll explain what that is and how it pertains to Ohio State. We'll go over the college football playoff contenders, real and fake. We'll talk strength of schedule, how good Ohio State is in the national picture, as well as historically. And we'll talk some historical numbers with the analytics as well. That's Andrew Percival coming up here in just a minute. This is the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I hope everybody that listens to the show regularly, tells their friends, tells their family, tells their friends' family about the show, you can find Locked on Buckeyes five days a week on your podcasting platform of choice, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., or by saying, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. You can also hear me on my platform, Unscripted Ohio, talking more Ohio State and more Ohio sports as well, Be sure to listen to me on both, if you will. You can catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. You can catch the show on Twitter at singular. We have a big week coming up next week. In addition to Ohio State getting back into action against Maryland, Ohio State basketball tips it off Wednesday for real against the Cincinnati Bearcats. I'll be talking about that game next week. Of course, we talked yesterday about the exhibition game against Cedarville. Ohio State generally looks pretty good. A few things that need improved on, but they'll tip it off for real. We'll talk about that next week. Big week coming up on the show. Lock on Buckeyes, sponsored by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. We're also here thanks to support by GoBus, Ohio's rural intercity bus system, can bring you to Columbus for Ohio State sporting events with over 40 stops to locations across the state. Visit them at RideGoBus.com or call them 1-888-95-GO-BUS. We're here now to talk some college football metrics and analytics. You guys know I geek out about this. It's It's kind of fun, though, because you're probably tired of hearing me throw the numbers at you, so I brought somebody else in. You can hear it from a different perspective. And for that perspective, I brought in Andrew Percival, a guy that – is knee deep in analytics on Twitter. He is at P dog two Oh six. If you're interested in hearing more from him, Andrew, appreciate you coming on lock on Buckeyes podcast. It's great to great to have you on here.
1: Thanks, Carl. I'm excited to be here.
0: So let's start with the background. Um, everybody always wants to know how people get into this and it, it's, it's an interest. Everybody has their own story. How did you get to the point where you're doing this? Cause you, you really take it to another level and I appreciate your analysis and and your in-depth uh, perspective and how you do it. So so kind of walk me through how you got to the point where uh where you got to this point and and what it is you're doing exactly and trying to measure.
1: Well, I um I'm grew up in Seattle, Washington, and and grew up loving college football through the Washington Huskies and the Pac-10. Um and have loved the sport since I was very young. Um, and then, you know, when I Graduated from college, I ended up working in Major League Baseball for 12 years uh, for three different uh, organizations, and it was kind of through through that world of, of baseball operations and being around a bunch of people who were very into analytics that I'm um, kind of, surprisingly, um, it was there that I first learned about things like the SAGREN ratings and SRS, because I was on baseballreference.com every day for my day job, um, and then kind of found out that they had a whole universe of college football stuff. So that was around 2009, 10, 11. I started getting really into um, the concept of computer rankings and that there were ways that were better than the sports writers and the AP poll and the coaches poll to evaluate teams. Um, And then through kind of some historical um, kind of going back and and trying to look at history from that lens, it, it gave me a little bit more love that, um all the nineteen ninety one Washington Huskies obsession that I was surrounded with was actually justified in the metrics. Um, and and then it really it's only been the last couple of years that I've um, started incorporating more of them. Um in my earlier years I was pretty much an SRS and Sagar and guy and probably had some some hot takes that were a little too opinionated because um, I've learned that different metrics can can often say very different things. Um, And so in the last five years, I've developed – well, really, it's the last two, three years, but I have data from the last five years – developed what I call the metrics consensus, where um, I take eight different computer rankings online that I've kind of spot-checked throughout the the years. You know, there's a number of kind of, you know, wonderful outlier case where it's like, okay, give it it this test, give it that test, uh, with 2015 Iowa being – uh, probably the first one that I go to, um, and take these eight computer formulas and average them up to produce um, a very simple, just a crowdsourcing of these eight different metrics, um, and that's what I use to, to kind of form my my core opinions on team evaluation, on conference strength, um, and you know I'm I'm kind of I know some fans can can get really Granular with player personnel um, and and X's and O's and then certainly I think there there's there are life experiences that leave people qualified to do that, but um, I certainly don't have those. I kind of take a I know I know what I don't know approach, and I just um, you know really have developed a lot of trust in um, in this system um, and currently trying to kind of make it into a, a potential gambling thing with with um, you know picking game outcomes and converting this into point spreads, and I'm having a lot of fun doing that. But um, obviously, as you know, Vegas is very, very smart, very, very advanced. Um, but the output does tend to be something that looks uh, far more like a Vegas power rating than, you know, maybe the AP poll.
0: So tell me the, you mentioned there are eight metrics that, that go into this consensus that you use. Uh, tell me which ones that you you do use for this uh, consensus and, and how you arrived at those eight.
1: Um, oh, I use SRS, which is kind of the core rating from the Sports Reference Network. Um, I use Sagarin, which is similar to SRS in that it's point differential based. But I think their, their spectrum of potential uh, point differentials in a single game is a little bit wider. So it's, it's not, it doesn't perfectly mirror SRS all the time. Um, I use um, Ed Fang's um, public numbers at PowerRank.com. Um, ed does a great job um, both with his podcast and with his numbers i use teamratings.com i think it might, it might actually be teamrankings.com um, which that was one that i uh, added over the offseason and then went back and retroactively applied to past years um, i use the doctor entropy rankings um, that was another ad this offseason when i gave a couple from last year the boots and i needed to replace them with a the couple and i a couple of people that I trust recommended those to me and I, you know, went back and gave it the, the, the various back tests, um, ESPN, FPI is in there. Brian Fermo's F E I is in there and Bill Connolly's SP plus, I guess we got to call it SP plus now. Yeah. Um, so those, those are the eight. Um, and I don't take exactly, you know, the, the, what, what comes out of those as far as like a point spread, I do do some standardization kind of behind, behind the scenes, um, to kind of get them all on the same plane, but um, yeah, those are those are the core, and um, every week they're they're fully refreshed by either Tuesday or Wednesday, and um, it's a, it's a lot of fun to kind of track the results over the weekend and um, you know see how things things shape up. Although often, like any metric system, um, it doesn't always perfectly correlate to fan emotion. Um, you know, when like Washington lost a really close game to Oregon at home a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think even beyond the score, I think the underlying stuff had it a pretty close game. I think Bill Bill C had it. Um, I want to say the UW win probability around 65%. And so we lose the game. The fans are devastated. And I'm like, you know, hey, you know, feel devastated. I felt devastated walking out of that stadium. But I don't want it to change your opinion of um, how good this team is in the general context of college football that much. Um, and sometimes that can be kind of a, a challenging message to convey when, when we're all kind of reeling from a loss like that.
0: So Andrew, before we get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what these, the top five, top 10 are in the current consensus, I'm curious if you've done any back testing at how these might correlate to future success. Like if there's a, uh, if there's some kind of benchmark or a certain number that you want to be at at this point in the season, where you say, this is probably where the the line is drawn for a, a college football champion contender, and have you done a testing like that?
1: Um, I have not done a a formal testing like that. Um, I kind of anecdotally, I, I've only had these on a week to week basis since two thousand and seventeen. That was when I started tracking them and you know saving the numbers before they changed for the following week. Um, and it and really, this was born in the fall of 2006 when Washington, my beloved Huskies, were um, in the playoff hunt. And so I really wanted to have some information that I could use to potentially, you know, advocate for my team, um, if warranted. Um, and I, so I think the first ever edition of this was pre-playoff 2016. And Clemson that year was number five been into the playoffs. So I remember being very upset that, um, you know, I thought Ohio state getting in as a, as a wild card was the right thing. Um, and then I, I was kind of strongly of the opinion that Washington should be the three seed Clemson should be the four. And that was an analytics driven opinion. Um, yet that's, that's certainly not how it played out. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, that that was a year without a ton of separation. Once you, um, you know, once you got past Alabama, Um, as the clear number one. Um, And so I I think certainly for for big – like Iowa 2015 is probably the best example where you're just watching them the whole year and you know it's like, okay, no. Like this is not – this is not a national championship contender. If they get in somehow, it's because of the the shocking result in Columbus against Michigan State, and it's going to result in a non-competitive three-and-a-half hours of playoff football. Um, so I, I think I, 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 haven't done any formal testing, but that Clemson lesson from 2016, um, certainly is such that, you know, you don't take them, you know, so literally that, you know, every little spot or every little, you know, 0. 0.10 gap between two teams matters that much. And to kind of really take a big picture approach, 2013, Florida state would be, or 2014, Florida state would be another example of a team where this perspective on the sport, um, would have, you know predicted what happened in the, in the semifinal, but those are just anecdotal uh, maybe some confirmation bias in there. So I have to keep that in mind, but um, that's, I I have gone back and tried to back test for like against the spread and, and just picking winners and um, that kind of thing. But, but as far as like a playoff, are you a a contender? Are you not? Um, I would say it could easily be done and, and it probably just, Probably around one, 1. 1.8, 1. 1.9 standard deviations above above average would be my just kind of gut feel.
0: So, what is the top four right now? If we picked the college football playoff today based on this metrics consensus, what would be the top four, and what teams do you think w- would be in the mix analytically speaking, if we if we use that basis to pick?
1: Well, um, number one, the the emphatic number one is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, They are number one in the consensus right now um, with an average 2.80 standard deviations above average. Um, And Alabama comes in a very, very distant second at 2.35. So, um, you know, I'm I'm a huge SEC guy, not, not out of affiliation or geography, but more just that's where the metrics often take you. But um, I, I think if, I'm, if you're a Buckeye fan out there and you're a little offended that Alabama is kind of default number one, um, the, the analytics will, will back you up strongly in that this year. So Alabama's number two. Uh, Clemson is number three at 2.14. So that's a, that's a sizable gap behind uh, number two, Alabama, but nowhere near as big of the gap between number one, Ohio State, and number two, Alabama. LSU is number four at 1.97. Penn State's number five at 1.79, and uh, Oklahoma is number six at 1.75. They did not take um, as big of a hit as you might expect from the Kansas State loss. I mean, with it not only being a a close game, but I think some of the yardage stuff that I saw um, had them outgaining them by a huge margin per play and and things like that. Um, And then after that, you have a bunch of teams that are bunched pretty closely. Wisconsin at seven, Georgia at eight. Auburn at 9, and then Utah and Oregon 10 and 11. Uh, but really, from a playoff perspective, um, I think if, if I'm looking at this document and then trying to apply the, the common sense um, uh, approach of the, of, the, of the committee, I would probably cut it off at, after number 6, Oklahoma. Um, and that Utah and Oregon, uh, even though they each have one loss, and I'm a Pac-12 guy, uh, they are not of that level this year um, and, and would probably require, um, you know, one of them to, to, to really start blowing like everybody out, um, you know, close wins against, you know, Washington state um, are not going to cut. Utah is kind of trending, trending that way. But, but I think the, the pac 12 it's, it's the number four league this year. It, it's been beat up in the press all, all off season out here. It was a major talking point. Um, It's we're happy to be comfortably out of the cellar uh, far better than the ACC this year, but um, at the very top end, uh, it it is not offensive to me in the least that uh, Utah and Oregon are kind of on the outside looking in um, at this point.
0: So Andrew was interesting to me is in big 10 country, there's always the discussion of uh, the SEC and whether it's hyped and overhyped. And interesting thing this year though, is the metrics really do love the big 10 and a case could be made that the Big Ten maybe is the best league this, this year. What do what do the metrics say in your eyes? And and what do you make of if it came down to a one-loss Penn State, a one-loss LSU for maybe the fourth spot? What would the metrics say about that kind of discussion?
1: Well, um, at the, if you aggregate all 130 teams, the numbers for 130 teams, the consensus still has the SEC as the number one league in the country. But um, one of the wonderful things about this perspective on the sport is you can quantify kind of the degree of difference between two, two teams or two conferences. It's not all just about what the ordinal rank is. And so I've got the SEC, number one, 0.79, the Big Ten, number two, is 0.67, the Big 12, number three, Pac-12, and the ACC. And the Big Ten, it wasn't until this past weekend that the Big Ten passed the Big 12. So I think the Michigan thumping of Notre Dame had a lot to do with that. So to answer your question, while I am not going to give the Big Ten, you know, the the, the top spot in the country this year, um, I do think that the the gap has shrunk and that this is not a year of of huge um, kind of hyper-conference polarization. 2016 was like that. 2018 was like that, um, where the SEC was just kind of a far number one. Um, 2017 was not like that. And so I think we've got a year that's a little bit more like 2017, and we certainly should be more rigorous in our analysis than just kind of defaulting to, you know, if you've got two teams that are relatively close, then, you know, who comes from the stronger conference? I think uh, Penn State versus LSU, assuming that they're both kind of on the same plane as far as, you know, maybe losing a one-game game and and being in that mix for the best one-loss non-conference champion in the country, similar to 2016 Michigan, um, I would I would say I would go I would come honestly I would come to the metric consensus and I would see what that says. Um, LSU's got the edge right now. It would have LSU about a two and a half point favorite, but given that Ohio State is such a such a historic outlier, I mean I've been doing this for five years. 2007, uh, 2018, Clemson was the number one, uh, the highest score ever on this consensus, and these are using the same metrics. Um, at 2.75 standard deviations above average, and Ohio State right now is north of that. To me, if Penn State is is even is, is competitive in Columbus, um, and even kind of the same general ballpark as LSU is competitive in Tuscaloosa, then to me you need to really propel Penn State forward to be at LSU's level, if not a little higher. Um, And that's, you know, that's probably what the numbers will do, assuming it's kind of a conventional game, um, you know, that the margin reflects reality. But um, so, yeah, this is a year that, um, you know, it's not a huge conference polarization year. I I would say uh, we don't know. And I do think uh, over the weekend, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily there, but um, I do think that Penn state would absolutely be a viable uh, wild card Um, you know, entrance um, into the playoffs, and even in Ohio State, for that matter. I mean, shoot, given how given how off the charts they are right now, I'm prepared to argue for their inclusion, even if Penn State uh, pulls off a miracle in Columbus in a couple weeks.
0: We're talking with Andrew Percival. We'll be back more to talk about Ohio State's historical dominance, the strength of schedule and more from Andrew, Andrew Percival coming up next. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com lock to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash locked for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash locked. All right, we are back now here on Locked on Buckeyes. We're talking data and analytics with Andrew Percival. Uh, so, Andrew, let's go back to Ohio State now. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times they're they're on a historically good run. I've been talking about it here on the podcast for the last couple of weeks. Uh, the strength of schedule is I think better than people give it, you know, give it credit for, but where Ohio state really especially stands right now, you and I had this conversation about the SRS, which is the simple rating system found on college football reference. And in that measure, Ohio state right now is, is basically one of the all-time great teams. In fact, is number one all time. If you go back to the uh, scholarship limit era, starting with 1975. So, Ohio State, it, it's, not just, uh, it's not just the eye test. The, the analytics back up right now. Ohio State is really, really good.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, you know the, the, the consensus paints that picture from 2014 on, but uh, going back uh, to, to, to the early 70s, I, I noticed when I refreshed my numbers this week and I saw they were, I think, around 30, so that means that they're, they would be a 30-point favorite over an average FBS team on a neutral field. And Alabama, mighty Alabama, uh, was down there at 23-point-something. Um, and so it has Ohio State, you know, minus seven over Alabama. Uh, the consensus has something similar. And then going back, um, I, you know, you've got 91 Washington, which out here we're, we're very proud of, and, and that particular metric totally supports that notion. And, you know, when people tell us we're lucky to get half a national title, because the coaches voted for UW, um, then we say, no, nah, we, we should have got the whole thing. Um, but then you got 95 Nebraska, and um, yeah, it, it, and, and Ohio State has the strength of schedule left on the schedule where they, they absolutely have an opportunity to maintain that. Um, and so, yeah, I noticed the same thing, and it's, uh, it is just stupid how, how high their, their SRS in particular is right now.
0: And what's interesting andrew is is i I get we hear this argument a lot here in Columbus. I know Buckeye Twitter is always talking about it. I think people tend to fall in the trap of only looking at your best wins and and they tend to ignore or not understand the rest of the schedule in some cases as a whole is maybe a little bit better than just your top couple of opponents and That's where we're at with Ohio State right now because if you look at almost every strength of schedule metric, it appears Ohio State is one of the best among the top 10 to 15 teams and but yet you know if you listen to the average college football fan out there they'll say ohio state hasn't played anyone so so what is the analytics saying about ohio state's schedule right now
1: so the the way that i calculate strength of schedule um, not surprisingly it comes down to the metrics consensus um if you need to you know you need to assign a particular value to every single team on the schedule some of the the crude sports radio style where it's like, Oh, how many ranked teams have they played? And, and that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that is just a very, very poor way to do it. You have to evaluate every single game and you have to do it in kind of a non-binary way. So you're just on a continuous spectrum assigning a number to every single team. That's what the metric consensus does. And um, as of right now, um, I have a strength of schedule document that looks at not who they've played up to this point with the entire 2019 regular season. Um, and I did that to project some strength of schedule numbers um, coming into the year, using the previous five years of the metrics consensus. Um, and, but the other night I put in the current numbers and Ohio state strength of schedule comes in at number 12 um, or no number, number 14, number 14 right now. Um, number one is, South Carolina, and uh, number two is. Um, let's see, I got it up here.
0: I believe you may have had. It, was f- it Michigan? I, I happen to see. Yeah, number two,
1: Yeah, number two is Michigan. Number three is Auburn. Number four, Michigan State, um, and Ohio State's sitting there at fourteen. And um, coming into the year, I had them projected for number thirty-two. Um, and you know, you had you had a Power Five, you know, no Power Five non-conference opponents, which. Um, I'm, I do a lot of scheduling work as well, so I know that that was likely some sort of scheduling cancellation snafu and not not uh, representative of ambition. But even with that as a side, uh, Cincinnati is the second-best G5 in the country according to the consensus. Florida Atlantic is one of the, the top 12, 13 G5s in the country. Um, and then Penn State is having an excellent year, uh, supported by both the, the win-loss record and the metrics. Um, and then Michigan is certainly – Um, no slouch and likely a little better than than kind of the cacophony of voices the last couple weeks with with kind of what they were going through Um, and so there are no of of the playoff contenders um, I've got Ohio State at 14 um, Oklahoma's at 37 Alabama is um, down there at 49 um, and that's you know the the combination of Uh, you know, Duke being their non-con, but then uh, Tennessee on the other side, like Auburn, it's not, it's not a, it's never about schedule format because Auburn is number three, Alabama is number 49 with identical scheduling formats, a neutral non-conference P5, uh, three, you know, two G5s, one FCS and then eight SEC games with a protected crossover. But just the way the crossovers have tended to fall, the biggest problem with Alabama's uh, scheduling model in general is just because Tennessee is their protected crossover and they've been down. Um, So, um, yeah, I think, you know, if it really does come down to to strength of schedule with, um, with, with Ohio state or, or or Penn state, I mean, LSU comes in at number 23. So, you know, I I think the big takeaway from that to me is that if Alabama loses, um, which I don't expect to happen, but if it happens, they, they, they could be in trouble because a correct interpretation of strength of schedule would not vault them, um, you know, anywhere near a, a lot of their competition for for one of those spots. Unless it's a Pac-12 team um, where they're they're kind of right down there with them. But um, yeah, of the playoff contenders, I've got Ohio State with the toughest schedule this year.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I, I, I have been under the impression that LSU, Penn State, Ohio State could better withstand a loss than Alabama or Clemson, who's sitting out there, not through any fault of their own necessarily, but because the ACC is so down this year, I, I feel like Alabama or Clemson almost have to run the table, or at least Alabama has to at least get to the SEC championship. Clemson may have to run the table entirely, in my opinion.
1: I agree 100%.
0: So I, I want to ask you about another team that that really has the analytics people versus the eye test people. This is a, a tough a tough team, and I know you've you've written about it here uh, recently. Minnesota, I know the analytics don't like them because their schedule is really, really bad. They're an interesting case study because it seems like they are playing better football now than they were early in the year, but at the same time they're also pay, playing some really bad teams. They're playing teams that haven't been – uh, the college football nerds, you know, we both follow them. They've mentioned that actually all four of the recent big 10 games have been against backup quarterbacks, which is just absolutely astounding to twos. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So where, where do you have Minnesota in your analytics and, and how would you uh, measure this team given what we've seen so far?
1: Um, well, they're number 20 in the consensus, um, which is, uh, they've, they've been rising fast over the last couple of weeks, but, that is a great point about facing the backup quarterbacks. That is uh, by far the weakest thing about the, the metrics uh, kind of centric perspective on the sport as uh, my, my little spreadsheet here does not know that. Um, and that's absolutely relevant, but um, they're number 20. So they're in the middle ground where um, I have to watch my tone and not be as hard on them as I was uh, uh, Iowa in 2015. Um, but they are nowhere, where, where do they rank, like 12 or 13? They're, they're not that good, um, but it, it is possible to be undefeated as a P5 at this point in the season and be a little lower than that. I think Iowa, in 2015, Iowa finished number 32 in the consensus, um, and so Minnesota, and that, and that, that includes, you know, the, the, the beatdown in the Rose Bowl, but um, I, I, it looks like at this point, um, I'd be surprised if Minnesota doesn't finish higher than that. So um, I would put them in the moderately overrated category, but not deserving of the outrage that um, Iowa in 2015 generated, at least with me personally. I was I was hot about them all year, and there was some family stuff involved with that, as I have um, cousins that are Iowa Hawkeye fans, and so I remember you know, having fun. I've, I've enjoyed telling them the last couple years that their teams, each of the last few years, have been, uh, better than their 2015 team, uh, which kind of blows their mind. But um, yeah, so Minnesota is number 20, um, and uh, you know other kind of funny, interesting nuggets from the consensus. UCF is number 14, which is right around where they've been in recent years. Um, and so uh, with UCF fans, it's like you know, hey, you guys aren't, uh, aren't undefeated, but don't your your team is is on on according to this perspective, roughly the same as they were in kind of those magical seasons. Um, and, um, Texas is 24. USC is 23. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the gophers, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're doing well. They're doing well. I got to give them credit. It's not easy. It's a heck of a lot easier to crack the AP top 20 than it is the metrics consensus top 20.
0: <laughs> so Andrew, before we wrap up one other thing that I want to talk to people about that I think they'll find interesting. So you have done some work taking the uh college football reference data set that goes back to, I believe, 1946. You've done some work with, with this ratings consensus and kind of applied the SRS to the all-time data. So I, I'd like you to uh, tell us what you, what you found by doing all-time data and uh, some of the revelations you have there. Yeah,
1: well, th- th- that was a, a really fun project that I've been working on for six or seven years, and it's evolved quite a bit since I started. But the, the general idea was... To build a college football database um, and, and one that went back to 1946. The reason for that is because I did not want to do a project that uh, spit out, you know, Rutgers and Princeton as you know the best programs of all time. Which, if you look at the Sports Reference database way back to the 1800s, you'll see you know decades where there just weren't many teams playing the sport. Um, and so I knew I needed to start somewhere. I picked 1946 because World War II. Um, and and probably about 60 to 70 teams dropped football during World War II, um, with obviously much bigger things going on at the time. And, um, 1946 was the first year that everybody was back. Um, and so even though the AP poll, when that that started in, I think, 1936, that's been, people have have said that that might be another date to consider, but I went with 1946, used the sports reference database. Um, did add some of my own data fields, um, and it's kind of a mixture of, um, you know, the SRS metric and then the accompanying SOS metric for strength of schedule, but then also all the traditional um, accomplishments that, you know, as fans that we remember. Like, you know, we don't – we all know that, you know, we we cite, you know, Rose Bowl years and national championships and things like that, not, you know, oh, we were SRS number one this year. Um, so I want a database that combine the two and then wanted to aggregate it and graph it um, in a chronological fashion um, so that you have kind of some objective an objective and visual history of college football. Um, And as far as Ohio state goes, um, I have a system that I call accomplishment, which blends national championships, major bowl wins and AP top 10 or top 20 finishes. Um, And I have those all, kind of weighted, um, and I don't want to get too much detail about that, but um, weighted to reflect the the prestige associated with each, each of those. Um, and I have a Ohio State comes in number five there um, behind number one Alabama, number two Oklahoma, USC, and Notre Dame with um, national championships being kind of the driver there. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and, and anything AP poll-related kind of gets you to – Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, um, anything major bowl related, um, same thing. But then it's, it's, you know, they have a few. I've got them at four national championships since 1946, um, and I, that's just, you know, major ones. So the Alabama has a reputation for claiming all these other ones. I don't, I don't play that. Um, but then where it gets really interesting is if you look at SRS since 1946 expressed as as both a raw average but also the way I do it is SRS rank so um, where you know whether you finish first or fifth or 130th SRS rank converted to a percentile to uh, to accommodate the fact that you've had different different numbers of teams um, in major college football over the years so for instance in the in the late 80s if you finished um, like 110th that was closer to the bottom than it is today so uh, with that perspective on the sport, which is pure SRS rank, um, no, no mention of wins and losses or the trophy case or anything, the Ohio State Buckeyes are number one um, ahead of Oklahoma, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, and Alabama actually comes in number six because, um, I mean, not only pre-Saben but back kind of pre bryant in the 50s, they were nothing special. They were a below-average major college football team. So – Um, What it says about Ohio State is that they have the highest floor in college football history since 1946. Um, I only see one year where they failed to reach the top 60 in SRS, and that would have been 1965, I believe, uh, maybe 66. Um, And then uh, 1947 wasn't great. 2011 wasn't great, but really... It's just a giant block of red where Ohio state might have teams that disappoint their fans over the years, but they are never bad. They're always good. And so that's what kind of drives their ranking to the very top um, at that. And then um, in another, another graphic that I create, which is um, kind of doing the same thing, but at the conference scale. So where a team ranks in their conference in SRS and where a team ranks um, in their conference in, in, winning percentage. So regular season conference winning percentage. Um, I've got Ohio state number four nationally in each, but the three teams above it, that's an average stat, not an aggregate stat. So the three teams above it are teams that have been in their leagues for much shorter periods of time. So Ohio state is number one in these, in these charts. If you um, put some sort of minimum 50 years minimum in their conference. So um, Ohio state has dominated the Big Ten to a greater degree than any other team has dominated their conference um, if they've been in that conference long enough. So that's kind of something that I think Ohio State fans should be proud of. They've dominated the Big Ten a little better than USC has dominated the Pac-12. Um, they've even dominated the Big Ten um, since 1946 a little better than Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12 Um and so, yeah, just a, a ton. I, I, you know, Ohio State fans don't need some nerd out in Seattle with graphics <laughs> to tell them that they have an awesome program. But if anybody is interested, hit me up on Twitter um, at pdog206, p d a w g two zero six. I'll share the graphics with you. Um, and as far as the Michigan thing, um, you know, I've, obviously we all we all know who who comes out on top on top of that one uh, in a number of ways, but, um, there is not a single chart on here that actually there's one chart on here that Michigan finishes a little higher in, and that's the strength of schedule charts. Um, but then of course the rebuttal to that would be, well, Ohio state can't play itself. So, um, yeah, fun, fun project. Um, if, if you're interested, hit me up. Um, it's a lot of colors flying at you, a lot of graphics, uh, telling you all what, what you already know, which is that, um, Ohio state has, um, an outstanding football program.
0: As he said, he is Andrew Percival and you can catch him on Twitter. P Dog P D A W G two O six. Hit him up on Twitter if you're more interested in in hearing about the historical stuff and some of the analytics and, and all of the graphs he has and everything. If you're a big analytics and and college football stats nerds like I am, then you will more than love this. So Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and do this. This was, this was definitely a lot of fun.
1: Thank you very much, Kyle. Uh, Thank you for having me. And I want to say one more thing to uh, all the Buckeye listeners out there. Um, Leave it on this note. I technically am an Ohio State donor. And the reason why is because in 2014, um, I was, I woke up on a a January morning in 2000, it was January, 2015. And I woke up terrified that my worst college football nightmare was going to come come true later that night. And for Washington fans, I mean, I know we're not, uh, you know, it's not the iron bowl. It's not Michigan, Ohio state, but the Washington, Oregon rivalry out here is pretty nasty. It's pretty serious. And for, for many Washington fans, their worst nightmare would be Oregon hoisting, um, you know, a golden scallion trophy or a crystal football trophy. And I woke up that day just terrified at what might happen and was just elated uh, to see Ohio state play an outstanding game and, and really blow them out. I think, you know, just blew them out. Um, and so I was so relieved and so happy that I felt an obligation to make a small donation to that great institution. So I did, I got all the letterhead. I get those Ohio state stamps in the mail um, that I, you know, that I slap on my letters that I write. Um, and so for, from the bottom of a Husky fan's heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you ever see a Washington fan, Feel free, and you and you will. We we have a home and home scheduled. Um, then just you know, mention that uh, because that that really was a huge favor that uh, the Buckeyes did for us out here. So, thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Well, that is the sound of Ohio State fans dabbing their chest saying, "We got you, buddy. We got you." <laughs> All right. Well, thank right. you. Thanks so much, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. I mentioned at the top of the show, Ohio State football getting another huge commitment. This one coming from 6'3", 175-pound, four-star wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. Yes, you probably recognize the name. He is the son of Marvin Harrison, Hall of Fame wide receiver, former standout from Syracuse University, also of the Indianapolis Colts. Harrison is a borderline top 50 prospect in the 2021 class. He is a top 10 wide receiver, and he is just one of the latest huge commitments for the Buckeyes at the skill positions especially. Uh, really, they're getting a lot of really good recruits, but especially on the offensive side of the ball, they've got a couple of really good quarterbacks committed, possibly another one on the way. They've got absurd receivers in the last three recruiting classes, still working on the big fish at the running back position. But Ryan Day and his staff, Ryan Hartline, notably, really getting it done on the recruiting trail. So big pickup for Ohio State. He is, Marvin Harrison Jr., that is, the teammate of Kyle McCord, the quarterback in the 2021 class that is committed to the Buckeyes already. So landing a great tandem there from Eastern PA. Ohio State just having an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position for the next several years to come. That's going to do it for Locked on Buckeyes. Make sure you follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Spotify, iHeartRadio, and pretty much all of your favorite platforms. You can also listen to us on your smart speakers by saying, play Locked on Buckeyes. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. We are on Locked on Buckeyes, singular on Twitter, as well. Please give us a shout. Give us a follow. We will be back after the weekend. Hope everybody enjoys the football. What little of it is on this weekend. We'll be back on Monday for Lock on Buckeyes to look forward to Ohio State, Maryland next week. Have a good weekend, everybody.